First of all, great to have you on the show, Lyle. And uh, like I was saying before, we have a few things in common, or coincidences, I should say, that are rather self-indulgent. Number one, we're the same age. I guess number two, which I'll bring up, we'll talk about a little bit later, we're the same age with little kids at home. I have a four-year-old. No way. Uh, it, yeah, and it's, it's like you, and uh, we'll talk about with the title of your new album, it's truly changed my life and has changed my whole perspective on things that I never could imagine would happen at my age. But that being said, um, you've been in the music business for a long time, but it didn't start as early as some. By the time you started performing and recording, you were in your 20s, if I remember. Well, I, was, you know, I, was, I started playing out when I was 18, in the summer of 1976. Okay. I started playing out and uh, was... Uh, you know, knew that I loved performing, it, but but it was it wasn't until ten years later that my first record came out, and all that all of that first ten years really was was uh, you know experience, learn learning about performing, playing a lot, uh, you know, from the time I was eighteen uh, until my you know first record came out, I played you know all through school, I, I played two or three or four nights a week. Uh, yeah. All all those years, and and uh, so I had lots of experience standing up there in front of the microphone, and and uh, I you know I I feel like that still is the foundation of of my performing today. But 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 yes, it it took me ten years from the from the beginning of performing to when that first record came out, and uh, and it was a you know an interesting path. I met lots of great people who helped me. And uh, you know, learned about the business in, in those ten years. Wow! And the uh, and the music business can be a tough one, but you were on the same label for what almost forty years. Well, it was uh, you know the, my my original record deal was was with uh, Universal MCA Records Nashville through Curb Records. Cur Curb mm -hmm. took me to in those days. Curb would affiliate with one of the majors for distribution. Uh, and so Curb took me to MCA, the record company that I always deal with, the, uh, the record company that I always dealt with, uh, the people I worked with were the folks at MCA Records. Curb was kind of a silent partner in, in the deal. And so, so, so the people, my, the day-to-day -day folks I worked with were the MCA Records people. Uh, Tony Brown was my A&R person at MCA Records Nashville in those days. And, and the producer of my first three records. It was, it was during the time Jimmy Bowen ran MCA. Mm -hmm. Bowen was, you know, Bowen was fully formed and, and came from all his success in Los Angeles to Nashville and, you know, had great success there. Brought a way of recording and brought personnel with him from Los Angeles that was different from the, the, the Nashville approach at, at the time. And so, so I, you know, I got to go to Jimmy Bowen University when I was at MCA Nashville, and still use his recording procedures uh, when I record. I mean, he he really was he and his method uh, taught me uh, the, to to work the way I work now. Funny that you mentioned Tony, because oh, I want to say sometime in the mid '80s, uh, Tony invited me to a something at the Vanderbilt. It was an MCA Master Series uh, launch, uh, and it was ho I think the host that night was Larry Carlton. Oh, wow. uh, of course, it included 
Matt Rawlings, who we'll talk about in a minute, and uh, but Chet Atkins was there, and David Hungate, and uh, a bunch of other players, and it was the launch of MCA Records uh, Master Series, which Matt had his debut album on, which I, I believe you, weren't you on that album as well? I, I was, think you yeah, sang Matt, one track. Matt invited me to sing uh, G-Baby and I Good To You, which is, which is how, how I started singing that song. And I mean, it wouldn't have occurred to me ever to sing, sing that classic. And, and, uh, but that's, that's how, that's, that's how I learned it. We, I continue to play it all these years. And, and, and so that, and that's one reason I recorded it for this record. And Matt, you know, more than leanings, he, he's a jazz pianist in so many ways, uh, extremely talented. You, I know that the two of you have had a, a music relationship for a long time. And um, would you say that Matt brings some of the jazz into Lyle Lovett? Oh, absolutely. Without question. I, I'm not a jazz musician, but I love jazz music and I love playing with people who are. Matt. Matt was... 18 years old when I met him. Matt was Matt played piano in a country band called J. David Sloan and the Rogues, who were who were, who were the house band at the biggest rockinest country nightclub in Phoenix in those days, a place called Mr. Lucky's. And and they played six nights a week. They rehearsed after their gigs two and three nights a week from midnight to three in the morning. Matt I the first time I heard J. David Sloan and the Rogues and heard the, the first piano solo Matt played, I thought, what in the world is this? It was just amazing to hear Matt play jazz-like solos over country songs. And, and uh, as I got, I, I, you know, I, I worked this uh, you know, unlikely job with them for a month solid in September of 1983 in Luxembourg. And as, as I worked with them every night, as they learned some of my songs and offered to play with me, I was booked on that show as just a solo act. Uh, but eventually, by, by the end of the uh, by the end of the month, I was playing my set as part of their set. They were they were playing with me, and they were J. David Sloan and the Rogues were the the first real band that I had you know that, that ever played my songs. I, I went to Phoenix after that, where they were from. And recorded with him. Billy Williams was the music director of that band. Billy Williams was in his early 40s in those days, as was J. David Sloan himself. And they were working with these young, brilliant musicians. Matt Rawlings was 18. Matt McKenzie, the bass player, was 21. Ray Herndon was 22 or 23, played guitar. Those musicians, that band, Billy Williams' production sense his production mind is what shaped my it was still shaped to my recordings but but they, they are the people that that made those early recordings with me tony brown was the a and r person producer in nashville who said yeah these you know these recordings that you made in 1984 as demos he said i i think i think we can use these for your first album that was important to me. I was proud of those recordings. Tony Brown was the only producer in Nashville who was willing to work with those demos, who was willing to, by, by then Matt Rawlings had gone to Berkeley uh, in Boston to, to, to go to school. And, and uh, when it came time for some piano overdubs, I insisted on bringing 
Matt to Nashville. And, and Tony said, well, if, okay, if he's your, if that's what you want to do, we'll bring him in. He said, you know, we got great piano players here. I said, I know. I said, but Matt is my guy. I'd like to bring him in. And, and so that's what, that's what Tony did. And that's how Matt Rawlings came to Nashville. And I'm awfully proud of that. Wow. So, so in many, am I right to say that that was the genesis of your large band sound? Absolutely. Yeah. Playing, playing with, playing with J. David Sloan. They, you know, the, J. David Sloan and Billy Williams were seasoned music professionals. Billy, they both lived in Nashville. Billy lived in Nashville for a time and, and worked with Buddy Cannon and produced demos for Buddy Cannon. And, and uh, Billy's production mind is just, well, I, he, he, Billy taught me how to, uh, you know, to, to arrange a song. Billy taught me, well, just everything. And, and their inclination towards swing and appreciation of jazz uh, absolutely shaped uh, what, what you know, became the large band. B Billy, in, in, in recording a couple of my just simple blues songs, like She's No Lady, for example, uh, Billy, Billy, it, it, was, it was actually a song called I Know You Know that we recorded as part of our original demos. And Billy said, "What? What, what would you think? Would you? Could you? Could you imagine uh, horns on this?" And I said, "Well, I never have, but what? You know, what do you think?" And he said, "Well, let me let me write something, and then you tell me how you like it." And he wrote a, you know, he wrote a, a horn chart that we recorded with one sax player, Steve Marsh, who was one of the Phoenix guys in those days. Steve overdubbed to himself, and so it was all saxophones. But it was this beautiful horn chart. And I said, yeah, Billy, I, you know, I love this. And so we continued in that direction. Billy continued to write charts for some of my songs. It, it was Billy's influence, Matt's influence, Ray Herndon's influence, Matt McKenzie's influence. They'd all studied, studied jazz in Phoenix. You know, there was a great jazz scene in Phoenix in those days mm -hmm. and with Margot Reed and with Francine Reed uh, and Mike Reed uh, that uh, there were, great little jazz clubs you could go and have a bite to eat and listen to wonderful music musicians they brought that influence to to my little blues songs and and it turned into what is now the large band wow so you know sounding a little bit cynical uh, a i can't remember his name there was a, a british jazz critic who was talking about steely dan uh, in an interview and he said and it kind of reminds me of what we just said said, you know, one of the great things about Steely Dan is they play jazz, but they never played too much jazz. And I always found that a little cynical, but maybe a little true. And I, I think the popularity of your music is I, you know, I, I, I listen to it and I hear jazz in there, but then I hear a lot of other things. You know, obviously, you know, we know you playing Americana and Western swing and folk and country and certainly some jazz. Um, is there any of those subgenres that you like to gravitate to more often? You know, I, I don't think of, of songs uh, stylistically. I don't think, my, I don't think to myself, uh, gosh, I'd like to write a country song today. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I really am more motivated by, uh, well, lyr lyrical inspiration 
and and I I think certain ideas uh, are suited to certain types of music, and and uh, that that's that's how the songs come come out. I I do I appreciate purists as as they you know will um, you know want to keep as they keep the integrity of 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 a genre that that uh, that they might love somebody that says well this isn't jazz i mean i mean for example i mean i uh you know my i don't i, I mean i don't think my music would ever be you know put in a jazz section in a record store but 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 to you know to to deny to deny my own affection for that style i think would be silly you know to to not not be able to uh, do something that I enjoy just because I don't feel like it, it fits neatly or fits completely in a certain genre, I, I think would be counterproductive. I mean, why, you know, music, music is all, it's, it's all music and working with talented people that working with, you know, meeting Matt Rollins and now getting to work with Jim Cox on piano, uh, you know, meeting Billy Williams, working with talented people I, the, our, our alto player uh, for the last several years and he can he can only work with us in the summer uh, because the rest of the time he is the professor of saxophone at the university of north texas in denton texas you know one of the greatest jazz schools in the world mm-hmm. he working his name is brad lely and mm-hmm. working with brad lely is just an education for me every day i i've always tried to one of the things that I try to accomplish in a in a show is and and on recordings as well uh, but but in a show I, I I I want the audience and by the end of the show I want the audience to feel as though it's gotten to know everybody on stage I try to mm-hmm. I try to organize a show so that the musicians on stage all have features at some point in the show and and uh, uh, you know to just just to just to be able to demonstrate what they can do what they you know just show them at their best and and uh, Brad Lely has a couple of features that are you know as I stand on stage and listen now I every night I mean never never twice in a row would he play the same thing I, my mind is blown every night uh, when Jim Cox plays a solo, when Brad Lely plays plays a standout solo. I, I just enjoy their playing, and I try to create a platform that allows them to to play and 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 uh, and to improvise. And uh, you know, we try to we try to uh, pay uh, homage to the recorded arrangements. But I, I, I really, I, I like to give the musicians on stage the chance to play whatever hits them, you know, uh, in a, uh, on a given night. To, to be able to, to the, my, my very favorite thing is to be able to stand in the middle of, and we're 14 pieces this summer on the road, mm-hmm. to be able to stand in the middle of that many talented musicians and listen to the musical conversations that happen. You know the riffs that inspire another riff. That, to my way of thinking, keeps the music alive. 
we're we're not simply reproducing a, a, a performance. We're we're playing. You know, we're in the moment. It's happening right now. Something's happening tonight that didn't happen last night. That's never happened before. That possibility exists every time we go on stage, and in the hands of capable musicians, you know, it's a it's very exciting. And and I hear it sometimes in your recorded music as well, not just your live performances, as if you're saying to your musicians on in the on the recording date in the studio is do your thing. Well, absolutely. I, the, the, uh, and these are the, the, the people I'm on stage with, for the most part, are the people that play, that play in the studio as well. And w- the recordings we did for this record and other records, I mean, we, I, mean I, I record with the rhythm section. I mean, there have been times when we've overdubbed the horn section, but in, on this record, we, on most of these tracks that have horns, we all set up. We set up and we all played at once. In, in the studio we recorded in, uh, we recorded in Nashville this time with Chuck Ainley, who who engineered uh, my third record, which was called And His Large Band. The first time we, we introduced the, the name Large Band. And and uh, uh, we recorded in the very same studio that, that we recorded that record. And, and uh, the studio was such that we set the horn section up in the kitchen of, of the studio. They, they were, weren't even in the recording room. So, so but not enough the- room. Exactly. That was the way we, we got it done this time. But they, they did play live. The solos uh, on Cooking at the Continental, for example, mm-hmm. were improvised in the, in the track. And, and wow. oh, sorry about that. No problem. And, and, uh, and, and so, so it was, uh, you know, it, the, the live aspect is important to me, even in the recording studio. Wow. So, this is a good segue, large band, big band. You're now on Verve Records, an iconic jazz label. That's uh, another one of our coincidences. I was in the Verve group back in the 90s. Uh, I had a, re- a little boutique record label in the Verve group. And um, which, which I love, it, it was called IE Music. It, it yeah. my, my partner was Lee Rittenauer. Oh, wow. Uh, and and uh, we, we signed everything from you know, smooth jazz to sort of contemporary world music to uh, Al Jarreau. And uh, it was a fun little label that uh, was short-lived because Universal, talk about MCA, Universal purchased Polygram, which was where it was at the time. And Tommy LaPuma actually just said, you guys got to go. They don't want any more joint ventures, which was fine. It was it was an ap- absolutely amicable split. But I love Verve because of the incredible heritage with Norman Grant's, how he started this label. Uh, and it, there was all this kind of combination between what became legendary jazz artists, who became legendary jazz artists. Uh, and this marriage of media and music, the packaging of those releases back in the day, the liner notes, the books that came with them. Uh, and now Lyle Lovett is on Verve. Tell me how that happened and, and w- w- tell me some things about you and Verve and how that all came together. Well, Jamie Krantz is running Verve in the U.S. And sure. I'd gotten to know Jamie uh, in the last several years. And, and uh, he, seemed, you know, he seemed interested in having me on the label. So, so my being on Verve really uh, is because of Jamie's interest and, and the relationship that he and I built over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Being on a historic 
label like Burger with Burr's legacy is, you know, is, a, is an honor. And to, and to be on, be part of the current roster uh, as well. Um, it, 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 it uh, you know, I, I, I feel a little out of place uh, because, because feeling like more of an Americana artist, but it's, it's really, it's really been Jamie's enthusiasm and, and Jamie's involvement with me that, that, uh, you know, made, made it possible. I'm, I'm honored to be, you know, I'm, I'm honored that, that because of, of some of my arrangements, people might, might think of me as, you know, as fitting in to, to Burr mm -hmm. and, and because, because quality, it, quality, you know, a high level of presentation has, has been the, the hallmark of Verve since the beginning. Verve is also, you know, poly, as you said, Polygram acquired Verve, Universal acquired Polygram. So, so, you know, 10 years after my last record for Curb and Universal, I get to go back home to a Universal label. And that made me feel really comfortable as well. So, so, so for me, it worked uh, on, on every level. You know, I'm honored to be on Verve. I'm, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, I'm safe and comfortable because of my relationship with Jamie Prince. And it's a universal company where I've been since 19, my, since I signed that deal in 1985. So it really is like, not as much like coming home, but it's like staying home. For me. Right. Wow. Well, so the new album, 12th of June, a couple more coincidences. Uh, one, uh, it's about your twins. Um, I'm an identical twin. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, my father's birthday is the 12th of June. No, wow. How cool. So, so as I was reading through all the I could find about you currently in, in, in some archival things, uh, I found a lot of those coincidences. And uh, having twins, having little kids in the house obviously has made a change in your lifestyle. Uh, but I think in some ways it, it influences some of the new musical paths you take. Oh, for, you know, all, 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 everything you just said is, is true. Uh, uh, I, you know, I always thought I wanted to be a dad and, and uh, I, you know, I'm just so grateful for the chance to, you know, even, even at my age, I'm reassured that you have, a little one as well. The, 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 uh, I never thought about my age really until yeah. until they were born. And then I started you know, thinking, well, gosh, I hope I can, I hope I, I hope I'm around for when they start school. I hope I'm around for when they graduate school. Gosh, what if I'm around when they get married, you know, go to college? Yeah. I, yeah, I started. I had those kind of thoughts for the first time in my life, and so it, you know, it it made me look at everything in a way that I hadn't before. But I, the, the thing that I didn't anticipate, the thing I had no way of knowing, uh, is just how much I would enjoy being there. I mean, it's just, it's just the, the most joyful thing that I've ever gotten to be a part of. And, and those children are the, you know, they're just my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah. And, and, and I, 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 had, I get it. I had no idea. I really had no idea. And and uh, people, you know, people try to tell you. People, you, did you have children before? I did, but but having children in my sixties, uh -huh. uh, it I have a complete, completely different perspective. Uh, well, I'm yeah, I'm very curious to hear about that because I I don't know what kind of dad I might have been 
you know, as a, as a younger person. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how that would have played out, you know. Uh, I, in, a, in a way, I mean, I, I love getting to play. I, it, it's such a privilege. It's, I, I can't say this enough, but it is such a privilege in life to be able to do something for a living that you love to do. You know, to, mm-hmm. to be able to do something for a living that, that, that's an activity you would pursue as a hobby. It's a, something you would do anyway. But you be able to make a living doing that, it's such a privilege. You know, and to, to be supported by people. I mean, the, for the public to turn up, to still be coming to shows or to tune into live streams or to tune into a podcast like this uh, because they, they, you know, they might want to see what you look like when you first wake up. I mean, that, that, <laughs> I mean that's, that is a privilege, you know, and, 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 and it's extraordinary. And I, I'm well aware that, you know, uh, most people don't get to do that. You know, most people have jobs where they think, well, gosh, you know, the, well, the weekend's coming up. What, you know, what, what, are, what are we going to do on the weekend for fun? I mean, I, every day is like the weekend. For me. Mm-hmm. Getting, getting to, 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 to have children at a point in my life where I feel, you know, I feel like I've done, you know, done all the things that I want to do in my life. To be able to be a dad in a time when I can, where they truly are what's important to me, the most important thing to me. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder, I mean, I wonder what kind of dad I would have been as a young, you know, when I was trying to, you know, still trying to, try, trying to get a foothold, you know, what, what would that be like? I, you know, in, in a way, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm my children's dad and grandpa at the same time. <laughs> grandparents, grandparents are, have you know have have that reputation of being a little easier going, right? Right. Parents, and and I wonder, I wonder if I you know if I'm a little bit of little bit of both. But but um, how how does it, I'm I'm curious. I mean, how how is it different from you for you being a dad now as it was before? Uh, it's patience. Uh, yeah. I've learned to have a lot of patience. Um, my, uh, interestingly, what you just said. Uh, so my 31-year-old son is the producer of this show because he's a director of photography and he's in the videography film world. Oh, my goodness. And uh, a lot of times he will go pick up the little ones from school yeah. and they'll think he's their dad. <laughs> and and uh, there have been times where um, I've been with my kids and they assume that I'm their grandparent. Um, but I usually, and even my wife, because she looks so much younger than me, and she is younger than me, uh, there are a lot of people that say, oh, is, is that your daughter? And I usually respond by something snarky, by saying, my daughter, that's my granddaughter. You know? <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that as, you, as I got older, and I had already done a lot of things in my life, um, I could now pick and choose the things that I wanted to do and when I wanted to spend quality time with my kids. I didn't have that luxury earlier in my career. And so there are times where I'll be busy doing something and my little boy will walk in and in the old days I'll say, I can't talk to you now. I'm right in the middle of something. Now I just pick him up and I look at everyone and I say, can you guys hold on a second? And I make that break because it's the most important break of the day. Well, I was going to say, what could be what could be more important than that? And when my yeah. little boy comes comes up, I might be in the middle of doing, you know, working on the computer or 
you know, looking at my phone for work and, and he'll come up and just grab my, grab, grab one of my fingers and start pulling me. Mm -hmm. And, and he'll say, here, come on. He'll say, come on like that. And I think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And what's more important than that? Nothing. And, and, and you brought up another interesting thing that I think about a lot is morbidity and mortality. Uh, I want to be around for all my kids' weddings mm -hmm. and graduations. But the reality is the chance that I'll be around for my four-year-old's graduation or wedding is probably possible, but also maybe not reality. Right. And and that, that, no, you go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, you can't help but think about that. Yeah. You can't help but think about that. And you can't help but think about that every time you look at your child. And you can't help but think that, for, for me, that feeling rein, reinforces the importance of right now. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can spend enough time with my children right now, if I can be there for them right now, eventually when I'm not there, they might just think back and, and realize how much their dad loved them. That's, that's mm -hmm. the most I can hope for. That's, Absolutely. you know, that, and, that, and, and because I lost my dad in 1999 and, and uh, I, of all the things that I'm certain of, in this world, I know my dad loved me. And that feeling sustains me to this day. You know, I mm -hmm. think about him and I listen to him. And he was only 24 when I was born. And we, and we did lots of things together. And I would like to give uh, my children enough of that kind of experience. I'd like to give them enough time that they'll have experiences to think back on and just know that I love them. Yeah, that's great. Well, th there's one. Um, so you have fraternal twins, a boy and a girl. A boy and a girl, right. And, and um, so I'll tell you one thing that happened with my little girl who, when they become teenagers, they become little monsters. Uh, they, they're preteen hormones, whatever you want to call it. Um, and for a couple of years, my preteen didn't even talk to me. We, I'd drive her to school and she'd just look out the window. But then one day, based on what you were just talking about, they show them love all the time, uh, regardless. Uh, and she turned around and looked at me while I was dropping her off at school. And she, first time she turned the other way and looked at the driver's side and said, Daddy, you know, you're, you're a really good guy. And I was like, what? Where did that come from? So they know, so they do, they do remember. And there are times, like you just said, where my little ones say, Daddy, can you put me to bed? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm so tired. But, you know, there'll be a time where I won't be able to do this. And they remember those days. So it's so wonderful that you're having that same experience because I know that they will remember. Well, I hope, I hope you're right. And, and, and uh, I, you know, the, the pandemic isolation was was truly a, a mixed blessing but but the absolute best part of it and 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 uh, the, the part that i hate to leave behind is you know i for two years straight i spent every day and every night i mean around the clock with 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 my uh, for, you know they were two and a half years old when when the isolation started and four and a half when things started to open up again and and uh, i'm so grateful for that time and yeah. i hope 
I hope it sticks with them. I, you know, I know it'll stick with me and I hope it sticks with them uh, in, in a way too. But, but you know, when, when we were expecting, uh, my buddies uh, teased me and said, oh, is your life going to, and of course they had children, grandchildren. Oh, is your, oh, is your life going to change? And I would, I would say to them, oh, no, it's not. We're just going to keep doing what we do. And, and, uh, but of course it has changed. It has changed, but it has not changed in a single way that I didn't want it to. Every change that having children has introduced in my life has been some, you know, a, a, a joyful change has been something has been a change that just, you know, I, I've wanted to make and embraced wholeheartedly. There's, there's just, I, I, you know, there's no way I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I think, you know, having children is maybe not for everybody, but if, if you're at all inclined to want to have children, I, you know, I, I, for me, I've just never enjoyed anything as much as I enjoy just sitting on the floor with my two. Well, I have six. Uh, and, uh, and I do say this often, uh, and I've been very blessed to do a lot of cool things in life, but they are my greatest accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, uh, you know, what, there's not a better way to feel, I can imagine. Yeah. So I understand you're also a horse enthusiast. I, I am, yeah. So, so my wife has just gotten into horses, and I've realized it's one of the most expensive hobbies I've ever known. Uh, between the hor- buying the horses and the stables and the upkeep and the whatever, but um, it's right. It's right up there with being, you know, the music business. Yes, yes. But those, I don't mean to interrupt you. I was, I was just going to say, yeah. you know, there, there are those of us. Who who can't help doing things we love to do, and 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 uh, and that's that was certainly my you know my, uh, thinking at, when I was eighteen at Texas A&M University uh, that well I think you know I'd like to try to I'd like to try to make stuff up and sell it. I mean that's not that's not the that's not the way most uh, you know chemical engineering students electrical engineering students at Texas A&M thought and and. and um, you know, the, the idea of that, the odds of that working out are pretty unrealistic. And, but, but, but there are those of us who s- seem to not be able to help pursuing what we love to do. Horses is very much like that. And I'm sorry to interrupt. Tell, tell me more about your, your wife's involvement. My wife has what I've uh, deemed 15 minute hobbies. She tries everything. And, you know, whether it's the gym the uh, gym equipment at home, joining a gym, uh, you know, vacations uh, to exotic places. We, we, with kids, we don't do that as much before we, as before we had kids. But she likes to try things. And one of the things she wanted to try in the worst way, because she remembered doing it as a kid, was getting into the whole horse, horse culture. Yeah. Uh, and we live in a part of Florida that fortunately, there are stables and it's, it's more like Connecticut than Florida. Uh, and, and she just, she's passionate about it. Every day she goes to the stable. You know, I figured, you know, I didn't know what a horse cost. I didn't know, you know, when you want to buy the best saddle, what that costs and, but I'm learning. Uh, and, uh, but she loves it. And, and now my 10 year old loves it and she goes with her every day. So there's this bonding thing. 
Uh, and, uh, she, and, and my 10 year old got thrown, thrown from the horse the other day and she's fine. And she just wants to hop right back on. Uh, it's just, it's, they, they become so passionate about it. And when I read that you are a horse enthusiast, I got, I got to ask Lyle about horses. You know, it, so it, any, it, anything you can tell me, I, I, I'm, I'm all ears. Well, just, you know, just spend, spend as much time with your horse as you can, you know, and, and, and I, I haven't been to a horse show. Uh, since our children were born, I, I mean, I love to. With it, we, I compete in in a couple of Western events. One called Raining, and mm-hmm. and another one called Rain Cow Horse. I've done a little enough cutting to know that I'd really enjoy doing that more if I if I did that. But but, uh, I and I I now I I think to my I since, since our children were born, I you know when you go to a horse show, it's a week or two you know at, away from home. And and uh, you know to to really compete in the in the in the big shows and and uh, I just haven't wanted to spend that kind of time away from my children when when they're able to go with me if if they're if they're interested in doing it uh, that's something that I would I would imagine uh, being a lot of fun but but yeah I mean spend as much ride as much as you can if you if you're if you're if you're doing it you know just be you know be 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 with your horse I mean that. It's, um, you know, there, there's so much we can learn. Horses are like mirrors, really. You know, Unbelievable. They, they, they react, they respond to our behavior. So it's, uh, I, I've had the privilege of working with so many great horsemen uh, uh, over the years. A, a, a person that, that comes down and helps us start our two-year-olds or came down several years in a row uh, is, a, is an 80-year-old retired PRCA saddle bronc multi I'm wow. saddle bronc champion member of every rodeo hall of fame there is a fellow named Bill Smith from from originally from Cody Wyoming is his, his his nickname uh, in in rodeo is always Cody Cody Bill Smith and and he knows so much about it. one of his sayings is when you get right your horse will be right and and it's just such a lesson in in our behavior it's such a lesson. Horses teach us so much about ourselves. I mean, it's it's it is very deep. You know, the the, the documentary on Buck Brannaman a few years ago that came out. I mean, mm-hmm. all of that. You know, what the the, the you know the, the movie The Horse Whisperer based on on Tom Dorrance uh, uh, and his you know his technique with horses. It's all about it's all about working on yourself. It's all about how you present yourself, and it and it's such a lesson in life, in, in you know in general, you know, working working with horses. If you you know work effectively with horses, apply that same thing to talking to people. It it just you know it just really it makes you more aware of of you know your impact. You know when we're aware of our personal impact in a situation, in a room, around people, uh, it can you know, it can improve the way we do things. Wow. It, it's, you know, I, I, horses are, horses are just amazing. What, what part of Florida are you in? It's a little town called Parkland. Uh-huh. It's, it's southwest of Boca Raton, but kind of in the Everglades and more deciduous than palm tree. Uh, but we love it out there because it's not your typical Florida town. It's really, uh, you see, literally, there's roundabouts on, on the road that we get to our home, and there are uh, statues of horses on the roundabouts. Well, you're not you're not so, too far from Wellington, and and, and that actually, you know, we're just we're exactly we're we're due south of Wellington, 
which is also another great horse area. And then Ocala is a couple hours north of us, which is another great Florida horse yeah. area where there's this beautiful complex there called WEC, W-E-C. Uh, and uh, so I'm getting into the horses now. I haven't done it as a kid. I was more of a Western style. My wife mm. and my kid, uh, my 10-year-old, uh, are, are more into English saddle. I like the Western. It just feels more comfortable. Well, and that's, I grew up, you know, riding, riding Western too, but, but the, you know, the horseman, horsemanship is horsemanship. And those, I tell you that, I mean, you're in the epicenter of, of, of the hunter, hunter and jumper country down there. And some of the biggest yeah. horse shows in the world happen, happen where you are. And uh, yeah. the, 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 you know, it, there's nothing more exciting. It's just like, you know, it's, uh, everything is so uh, analogous, uh, you know, but it, it, it uh, you know, when I watch a great horseman ride or show his horse, I mean, it's it's like listening to Jim Cox or Matt Rawlings play a great piano solo. It's like watching Brad Lee listening to Brad Lee play a, a you know great solo on his alto. It's it's when you get to see anyone at the top level do what they do, you you it's you can just you you stand in awe. And you know, there's not a better feeling in life than seeing something that gives you that awestruck feeling. I mean, that's just, mm -hmm. I think that's what we all look for. But to be able to see somebody at the top of their, you know, to the top of their profession, uh, and, and the horse world is, you know, rife with that sort of opportunity. Well, I, I can say the same thing about you with the number of hits that you've written that are just, just brilliant songs. My I have to tell you, my wife, uh, made me uh, hear her out when she said, uh, If I Needed You is the most incredible love song ever written. Towns, and Towns Van Zandt wrote that. Uh, and Towns Van Zandt is one of my you know, songwriting heroes, originally from Texas. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's been recorded by lots of, lots of people. Uh, but, and, and, and it's still, if, if someone asked me to sing it at, at a wedding, it's that's still the song that I pitch first uh, as as a song to sing at a wedding. But but uh, yeah, Towns Van Zant was uh, you know an incredible poet, and he he and Guy Clark you know were contemporaries, mm -hmm. and and Guy is another one of my heroes and mentors, and and uh, I just think they set the bar for that that all other Texas singer songwriters aspire to. And you, you seem to understand that song, and you put some Lyle into it that re really made it special. Thank you. You know, Alison Krauss sang harmony with me uh, on that recording, and, and uh, uh, her brother Victor played bass and has played bass with me for years. Uh, uh, it, it's not he's working with Allison this this summer, but um, but yeah, I mean that you know it, so much of, of so much of the way something comes out has to do with the the human part of it all you know it's not you know you can you can draw something out on paper you can uh you know do an arrangement but it's you know you you have to allow for the the human part of it you know and and i didn't tell allison specifically what to sing you know i don't tell victor specifically you know you, you lay out the chord changes but you don't tell him what notes to play and and uh, to see how something goes you know goes through someone else's mind and body you know the, the personal interpretation of an idea always 
you know, enhances, you know, it makes, it makes the original idea better every time. I guess it's what we call in jazz improvisation. Well, it, that, that's, and that is, that's what's important about jazz, right? It's that mm -hmm. jazz is, and, and, and I, you know, take that point of view and that mindset. I, I, I take it and apply it, try to apply it to everything in my life. It's that, Hey, this is happening right now. This is, and the value is this is only happening right now. It can only, you can only experience it right now. And, and, you know, in the, in the right hands that, that makes right now hard to talk. Well, Michael, I, I, it's, it's nice to get to know you. Uh, congratulations on your family and your, your, is your, your four-year-old a, a son or a daughter? Da uh, son. I have, I have two boys and four oh. girls. Oh my goodness. And so your other son is, is, uh, he's watching us right now. He is, he is, uh, he, he's usually waves at me, yells at me, uh, puts notes in front of me. Uh, he's very passionate about what he does. Uh, and he loves the film business. And that's why we do podcasts because he actually like seven years ago said, dad, you're, you're not doing podcasts. You're, you're a big loser. And, uh, <laughs> So we started doing podcasts really early on, and we continue to do these Jazz Is Not What You Think podcasts. And we've had wonderful guests on the show from Commander Riker, Jonathan Frakes from uh, Star Trek, uh, uh, presidents of the United States. We've had uh, uh, actors, which before, I, before we leave, I wanted to ask you about acting. You've been in a lot of movies. I didn't realize that until I went and looked at your filmography rather than your discography. <laughs> you know, I've, 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 gotten to, I've gotten to act uh, occasionally, really all because of Robert Altman. Robert Altman came to a show that we did at the Greek Theater in, in the summer of 1990, a tour we did with Ricky Lee Jones. And he called me afterwards and just asked me, if I, he said, he called me up and said, hi, it's Bob Altman. Uh, you want to be in a movie? Just like that. <laughs> and and he it, it was because of Altman and because of you know Altman Altman uh, asked me to do music for one of his films a, a film called Doctor T and the Women and and so I I called Matt and Victor and 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 the guys and and asked them and I said hey I don't know how to do this can we get let's get together and see what we can come up with and and uh, we recorded uh, Altman showed up at the sessions and we just you know we watched we watched the scenes and and just played to them and and uh it was you know that was a great a great another whole another facet of working with altman but it, i i i enjoy acting um but but uh you know i've, I've never pursued it I, I i only get to act when somebody thinks of me kind of specifically and calls me up and says hey would you, or, would you do this i don't pursue acting the way real actors do i've done enough acting to have an increased appreciation for what real actors do in the same, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's once again, it's analogous to when you see someone, you know, the, the quality that I noticed most and, and you're, you, you, and you're doing this very thing as we speak, people who are really great at something, make it look easy. You know, they, they make it look as if, well, gosh, anybody could do it, but you know that's far from the truth. Uh, but great musicians, great actors, great horsemen don't show the, their process in in their performance. They just show 
they're they're accomplished enough that they can express themselves and the joy in doing what they do that's that's what comes through and that's the you know to me that's the pinnacle of expression you know being able to to you know be be good enough to turn the technical into the emotional and and uh, that's you know that's for me is that's what i strive for I, you know that, that's that goal that unattainable goal i mean there's always more to learn there's always you can always be better you can always do it better do what you're doing better and that's i think that's the fun the the fun of the you know the pursuit of everything the pursuit of your craft the pursuit of your day the pursuit of your life and and uh, that, i think that's that's what interests me about you know not just being here well, it's 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 obvious in your work, and I so appreciate that. And in, in fact, the, you know, I I guess you have a marriage and and kids to thank the acting world because didn't you meet your wife uh, in the movies? Uh, you know, uh, I I no, I didn't. I you know, I oh. I met I, I met but I, I met my wife. She was in her last year of of college when I met her in in nineteen ninety seven. And and uh, and so I, I met her. I met her on a visit at Texas A and M. I met her on a day I was visiting campus up at up at Texas A and M. She she went to A and M uh, as well. I'm, I'm class of '79, and she's class of '97. So, so I can we... I can relate. Uh, I I met my wife in her last year in medical school. Oh, nice. uh, I was already well into my fifties. No, late forties, I believe, at the time. But um, I, I I hear you loud and clear. Well, congratulations to you, and 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 if you're you know if we're ever anywhere near or you're ever anywhere near where we're playing, I'd love to meet you in person. Please, please come see us. Lyle, I read an article once that said that the secret of your endurance comes down to three C's: class, charisma, and consistency. Oh and goodness. that is certainly true. And I thank you so much for being on our show today. 